imposter syndrome, how content affects performance, and how to read a room. I discuss these topics and more with the delightful and talented Dennis Carnahan. He's a brilliant satirist, award-winning musician, and he has decades of experience in live entertainment. And you certainly don't need to be a musician to learn something from his performance tips, and he has loads. Welcome to Comical. Oprah, Steve Jobs, Andrew Denton, Ando. To me, these guys are masters of communication. The rest of us, well, mainly you, because I'm a pro, fumble our way through. Comical examines this funny little thing called communication that can either tear us down or make us sore. Join me, I'm an amateur comedian and a communication expert. Join me and listen, learn and laugh through the experiences of my very talented guests. Dennis, you're a multi-talented, multi-award winning professional musician, over 25 years of experience in live entertainment and 18 years in the TV industry. Now, if you're listening and you're a rugby league fan, then you probably know Dennis for Rugby League the Musical and cricket fans might know him for Cricket the Musical, but I know him from a MasterCard marketing campaign that we worked on together and I'm thrilled that he's joining us today. Welcome, Dennis. How are you, you legend? Oh, I'm very well. Gee, I'm very flattered, legend, and all that sort of stuff. I, I should point out, I think the, <laughs> you're reading a bio that's about five years old. So I think it's more like 30 years. Good Lord. In <laughs> fact, it's over 30 years of live music and 20 years doing music for TV. 25, quarter of a century. Wow. That's huge. That is yeah, absolutely scary. huge. How long have you been doing Rugby League the Musical? Um, oh, it, in various forms. I guess kind of since about 2008, 2000, probably 2009. Yeah, it started off, I, I was doing music for TV shows. You know, I was doing music for advertising, music for TV shows. Then I, I was working at Channel 9 doing music for a couple of TV shows there. And I was asked to do a theme song for the footy show in 2006. And it was meant to be an earnest song about footy, so I did that. And um, it, previously I would have personally taken the piss out of anyone doing the earnest song about rugby league because it's such an absurd thing to do an earnest song about, <laughs> even though I yeah. do, I absolutely love it. Um, so I did this song, was actually quite pleased with it because I didn't think it was trite and cliched. It, it actually, like it, 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 it felt good and it felt appropriate so much so that the NRL mm-hmm. uh, got me to play at the semifinals and kind of used it as a theme for the finals that year. Yeah. And released it as a single, but it was, like I said, it was an earnest song. But that, you know, I met the people from the footy show and I've had some silly ideas in my life and I suggested some songs to uh, Matty Johns for Reg Reagan. And so I wrote some songs for him and it kind of kept bubbling along and kept associated with the footy show and ended up in 2009, I was appointed as the music director of the footy show, but then got boned four weeks later. Long and miserable story. I won't discuss that. And there are far better people than me boned off that show, so I'm quite proud of it. But that's, I took some time off, <laughs> curiously, because at that point, I've been writing, one of the TV shows I was writing for was Australia's Next Top Model. I've done about four or five years of that. What? So I was writing music for, writing, yeah, I was writing music for Australia's right. Next Top Model. Escape with E.T., which is Andrew Weddingshausen's uh, outdoor lifestyle yeah. and fishing show. And yes, I remember that show. one strangely. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I was, I was doing all that, but I, after, like, within three days of getting boned from the footy show and being pretty unhappy about it, it's, it's you know, life as a musician, a creative anywhere is uh, is difficult trying to get income out of it. So when you get boned off a big job, you, which you put a lot of planning into, it's pretty miserable. But then I got a royalty check 
from Australia's next top model several years worth from overseas. Thankfully, APRA, not the insurance one, the Australian um, Australasian Performing Rights Association, they collect money so if, the, if your TV show you do music for gets broadcast in, for instance, Singapore, Canada, USA, Sweden, Scandinavia, South Africa, mm. they collect the royalties for that. And it takes some time. But I got this check that was like three times the uh, amount that the free show was going to pay me for the whole year. And it came from out of the blue, and I had no idea it was coming. So I thought, well, this is a sign. Take a year off. Throw in, you know, mum had passed away. It was a dreadful year. Breakup of a long-term relationship. Got boned off this job. Mum passed away. Woo! All happening at once. Then I got this check. I took some time out. And that's, you asked a simple question, and I've just raved at you. Sorry, this is terrible communication. It's a light comedy show, and we're discussing some deep, deep matters, but that's okay because it all leads back but to Rugby League the Musical, right? I'll bring the narrative arc back to Rugby League the Musical because I took a year off and started yes, doing stuff that was fun. And one of them yes. was just writing songs about Rugby League and particularly about the personalities involved. And, and, so I and sorry, I'm just at that point, Dennis, at that point, were you a comedian at that point or was this the beginning oh, of your no, comedic was, career? Was, there was no intent to be a comedian, none whatsoever. It was, right. it was all, um, yeah, I was making good money out of doing music for TV shows. The industry changed a bit. Yeah. And I just, like I said, I just started doing stuff that was fun, took some time to heal, had money in the bank, so I just played and and people enjoyed them. People, It made people laugh. Yeah. And that... For me, it was a little throwback because when I started playing music, when I started playing guitar, one of the first ways I practiced performing was busking in Canberra, just going into Civic right. and, and busking at public service lunch hour. There was a lot of people there who were much better at guitar than me, had much prettier voices. So rather than just play songs, I tried to ham it up a bit and I tried to put on little costumes. I tried to, when I played a, I played a song by The Who, I'd put on a big fake nose and I'd have a, a homemade cardboard amplifier, which I'd smash at the end of the song. <laughs> I'd play Faith by George Michael. I'd put on a, a leather jacket and do silly moves with my hips. Yeah. I'd also played a bassy roller song. I'd quickly put on some tartans. It was just, just silly things like that. And because public servants in Canberra are so bored, they loved it. And... Um, <laughs> There was one day a woman came up to me and yeah. and this was really quite moving. She came up and said, you made me laugh today. And I thought, oh, boy. And she said, yeah, my husband died two years ago. I haven't actually laughed since. Thank you. Oh, and, God. Oh. And, you know, that was 1987. That's really kind. That stuck with me. That, it really stuck with me. And so I was sort of, you know, I've always tried to include into my performance trying to make people happy. My, my idea... I kind of would have liked to have been Bono, but at the same time, that's not me. I'm I'm, I'm not, not that intense, and I um, you know, I, I like giving people. I'm, I'm a class clown. I like giving people a bit of a joy, a bit of laugh, and that one really, you know, that that one woman has really stuck with me. So that's, I guess, that's what ended up sending me this way. Now, of course, in your show, you do make people laugh, and sometimes it's at the expense of a rugby league character or player. And I know that you use humour to tackle some thorny topics and events that come up throughout just about every NRL season that has ever existed. Sometimes even when the subject is in the room, have you had, can you tell us a story about how a moment like that played out and the conversation you had after the show? 
Oh, there's been there's been quite a few of those. There's been a couple of times where people have been, where I've, I've played at a function and someone's been there about whom I've had a song, and I've actually chosen against playing it because I feel like it's entrapment. Whereas if they come to my show, I think yeah. it's their game. So I have I've had a few. I've, probably my favourite one was Peter Beatty, who came to the show, mm-hmm. and he's I think he's still on the Rugby League Commission. He he was at the time he was the chairman of the Rugby League Commission, and he made yeah. so many gaffes made just so many footy mouth comments and he was great fun for me and because he had Did a, you know he was and, coming? Uh, I did. I was told he was coming. I got word he was coming. Funnily enough, when I did Were you nervous? Music, it was the start of this year. Well, I was. I was nervous. A, what's, what's, how's he going to take it? And B, you know, this is, this is a former premier. How, how disrespectful can I be? And, you know, it's my job. Like, it's and part of the problem with rugby league musical people come along people come along expecting an actual stage musical like Annie or you know, <laughs> it, it ain't yeah. that it's a collection of comic songs and I do little impersonations yeah. so it kind of it's kind of just on the edge of music theatre but it's much more it's almost a variety show a one man variety show so I dress up as yeah. him because he's such an easy look to get and I overdo it I have huge fake teeth and I drool a lot and I've got a it's kind of a cross between him and Les Patterson that's the what I present to him very full of himself and I heard him um, at the, I left the stage and met him we met each other we shook hands the two Peter Beatties is obviously you know before the apocalypse are allowed to shake hands <laughs> We um we met and it was it was great fun because he had this particular one of his first interviews after becoming commissioner. He was interviewed by Phil Gould on Channel Nine, and he was asked a question which you know long story. He he got that he didn't he avoided the question, and then gave this huge throws the head back wheezy laugh, this big <laughs> like muttly, and and this was on camera. So that that became part of his shtick in my show. So I went and met yeah. him. I said, oh, this good-looking rooster. Shook hands with him. And then he threw his head back laughing. So I threw my head back laughing. So we're sitting there laughing weasley at each other. And his wife was sitting there, didn't know where to look, was just cacking herself laughing, was shaking with laughter. And I said, oh, look at this poor dear here. She's a, she's a good sort, but she's looking at all these good-looking roosters in the room, doesn't know where to look. <laughs> <laughs> so that was... It was a heap of fun. He he took it really well, but the I heard him at the intermission. It's a very small theatre I was playing in, and I could yeah. hear people in yeah. the audience, which is a lot of fun. But I heard someone walked up and said, "You know, are you okay with that?" Like he's kind of just really ripped you up. And he's he said, and this is I took this as great flattery. When someone does it that well, you just sit and enjoy it. There's no point getting upset by it. You just sit and enjoy it. That was a lot of fun. And oh, what I was a legend! That's a that. yeah. He took it really well. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, and he you know, did a bit of promo for the show as well, which was even better. <laughs> what a legend. Now, have you used humour to tackle or, you know, to tackle conflict or diffuse a situation in your own professional life? And how did that go down? Oh, boy. I, I can't think of any big particular instances where I have. I have certainly tried yeah. to, you know, this is how, you know, how I stopped myself getting beaten up at school was by trying to make people laugh. And if that, if it required self-deprecation, you know, I'd do it, whatever it took, because <laughs> I was very small and weedy <laughs> and annoying child. And I did annoy a lot of people. So I, I, I'd use it there to try and make the angry bully stand down and laugh. In, in professional life, I've never actually. Oh, the, the closest I've come is pulling out a a line in a 
a conflict situation where someone was uh, having a go at me, a, a boss was having a go at me. I'd worked three nights where I'd been, you know, I was working in a studio and I was working at the studio till after three o'clock in the morning, back in at nine. And we weren't getting paid overtime because the studio was doing it tough. And we'd voluntarily said that. And this, on the third day I came in, I'd gotten home at four o'clock and I had an 11 o'clock session. So I, I came in at 10, I came in an hour late and the boss looked at his watch and then looked at me and I hadn't had much sleep for three nights. And I, um, uh, I said, you, did you just look at your watch and then look at me? And he said, well, you know, you meant to be starting at nine. And I said, you understand I've been working overtime for the last three nights. I've been getting, I've been leaving here at three o'clock in the morning. I don't have to be here. He said, well, you know, you asked I to start at nine. And I looked at him and I said, that, that reveals a level of hypocrisy I have hitherto suspected in you but never called you on, which was, it was trying to be funny at the same time as trying to be a smart ass, at the same time as trying to be literary. And he looked at me, I could see him go, hit it too. What does it hit it too um, His wife, who was the, uh, the manager, came out and said, what's going on? And she'd heard the conversation. And I said, I've been here till three o'clock for the last three. And she says, go home. And she made him do my session and said, go home. <laughs> gave me 50 bucks cash and said, just go home. Go and spend this. No, no way. Got some food in the movie. Don't come back. That was a Thursday. Don't come back till next Monday. Did you end and, up losing that job too after that? No, I didn't. I kept it. I ended up leaving about three months later. But, uh, All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so that it worked was, for I, you. I, in that scenario, it worked for you. In that scenario, it worked, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that funny people get taken seriously in non-funny situations? Uh, I think you have to have a different persona. And I have, I have various, uh, there's various aspects to my working life. And you know the music for TV stuff. It's fine to have a sense of humour, but you've you know you've got to be delivering. There is there is some crossover where I have serious parts of my job, and if people know the comic parts of my job, they might not take me quite as seriously in that, or they might have a little bit of yeah. distrust. It's like you know, yeah. you're this pantomime clown. What are you doing doing this serious piece of music here? The only thing you can do in that is, as all things in life, you just stick to your guns, you just do it, and. If if the work you do isn't good enough and you're judged, you know it's not good because you're a comedian. Well, that's just stupid. Mm. But if it's you know, if the work is good enough, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Absolutely, I agree with that. And when it comes to preparing your material, I mean, you obviously write your own content, and yeah. when you perform your own content, you're a one man show in both regards. What's more important, do you think, the performance itself or the content that you write? I think one begets the other. It, it's um, it's very hard to perform if you don't have faith in the content. Like if if I think the content is rubbish, I can't I can't sell it. I'm not I'm not a salesman in that way. Yeah. So there's in a sense the writing is the prep for the performance, and you have to be well prepped. So it's it's also where the performance comes from. To me, the writing is the joy. Well, actually, no. That a lot of people say this. The writing is a loathsome painful struggle but when you get it it is the biggest joy when you when you're trying to get mm-hmm. something across and you get that moment yeah you know my biggest song well in australia is that's in queensland there which i did you know about state of origin selection policies and i've had that i've been sitting on that idea for about 18 months and couldn't quite work out how to execute it and I, no matter what i thought of it just lyrically it got clumsy to to express it 
Yeah. And I wrote the lyrics out thinking I had all sorts of fantasy about how I was going to deliver it, how I was going to express it, how I was going to perform it. But it ended up that really simple film clip, the really you know, eight-bit 90s-style film clip with the, the, the cards <laughs> of the players coming in and the map coming up. It was yeah. a very simple mnemonic and it just you know, made it work. I thought the idea was fun. I wasn't sure if it was going to translate because it is the song itself a bit musical and that was going to be a bit of a challenge to you know, rugby league fans who either want to hear some pub rock, that that's what rugby league should be, or it should be dance club music. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's got to be one of those two. So to put in music hall was quite wrong. And I got a friend of mine to record the backing as well. So I, I was in the chorus and this friend of mine who does a lot of music and a lot of comedy and a lot of, well, I suppose not straight comedy, but music with kids show, music with kids TV shows. And like I said, a lot of music from music theatre. He just got it. He did the backups, the, that's in Queensland, and the two of us in the choir. And it was when I first heard him singing it, when I first put it together, the first time anyone actually heard the song. And it went from yeah. the change of the, you know, the question over the piano to suddenly the big chorus comes in. I was just screaming with laughter. I, I was sweating. I was pouring out tears. He's, <laughs> he really made it work. And I listened to it over and over again going, this is... I was feeling one of those poignant life moments going, this is actually, I'm finding this too funny. No one else is going to find this funny. This is just, this is right in my, you know, tickles my sense of humor. I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. And so I didn't actually yeah. have, I didn't think it was going to work. And I thought maybe, you know, there was a small audience I knew of from a certain rugby league comedy show called Fire Up on FBI. And I thought, they get it. But that'd be about it. Yeah. So with 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 that performance, when I'm doing that song, it's the faith in how that works that helps me perform it. It helps me sell it because I know how strong it is and I know how it works with people. Yeah. So as far as performance and, and writing, you know, there's there's got to be both, and they they work into each other. Yeah. Do you sense check your material? So, for example, when you had the idea for that song, did you run it by anybody or did you just believe in it so much that you ran with it anyway and trusted your own instincts? Uh, I have sense checked some things and I've actually found I found this a lot in professional life and it's, it's going to sound really egotistical and seeking my own counsel kind of madness. But I find when I'm doing something, there's no one else who knows more about the topic than me. There's no one else. When I'm doing yeah. an actual song, I know where the songs come from. I know exactly about the incident. I, I research incidents really well. When I did that song, I had hours, days, weeks of research going yeah. through it. So I, yeah. I make myself covered well. And what I've what I've learnt from performing for you know from from playing a lot of corporate functions, then playing live in my own theatre shows. I've played on a few cruise ships as well. And when I'm playing in my own show. I get to be the censor. I get to choose what's there and what's not. And there's a there's a kind of funny thing where people have paid for tickets. I want to give them my absolute best. They're, they're paying for a ticket to see me do this show. I want to give them what I think is the best of it. But if I'm playing at a mm-hmm. corporate function, I have a role to fit into yep. within that function. So I need to yeah, make gotcha. sure that what I'm doing doesn't yep. compromise the people that are paying me. I have had it happen a couple of times where I've, I've played songs that I shouldn't have. Well, I've had it happen once. Or once be, oh, no, twice. <laughs> two occasions, and they're both a week apart. I wish I was there. Really bad. <laughs> um, but I, what I've learned is if I have to ask a question, the answer is always no. That's, and that, that's my mm. self-censoring. Is 
if I'm uncertain about this, the answer is no. Go with plan B because... Um, but how do you... How do you, for example, you said that if you're doing a corporate event, for example, and you have to make sure that you you are keeping them happy and not using any content that they won't approve of, but at the end of the day, you also have to entertain or educate or inform their audience. So how do you develop an instinct for what that audience wants or will accept? Uh, <laughs> that's just by time and mistakes. Right. You do... Yeah, you know, I, I did learn a lot practice, from the Practice, from practice, practice, right? Bad nights. Yeah, practice, practice. And also, I'm, the biggest thing is reading the room. The biggest thing is knowing knowing who's in the room. And you know, for, for both of those occasions that I screwed up, it was at the end, this was in 2016, where I'd had an exceptionally bad year. I'd had a large national tour uh, organised with a big promoter that had pulled out a, you know, a couple of weeks before it was due to go. And mm. it wasn't advertised. It wasn't promoted. People that It was thought that it would just sell because it's a funny concept and it was it was a good, it was a very solid show. It was a funny show and people, people yeah. who see it absolutely love it. But if you haven't seen it, you don't know what it is. The name is misleading. So you think it's going to be Todd McKenney, shit canny game that he hates, or it's going to be Fatty Vorton singing out a tune wobbling his head. It's neither of those things. So mm. unless you've seen it, when you've seen this show, you see why Rugby League the Musical works as the title. But until you have, it doesn't. Now, I've got to get back to the track of the question. There was a question there. So I had this tour cancelled. So I was in a bad place, and I'd written a few new songs which I hadn't performed because I hadn't done the tour. A lot of my, a lot of the songs in the show, I work with film clips because the film clips, they explain the gags. They're like the, I try and play the straight man. The film clips are the funny man. So I'm singing earnestly about a certain thing, and the film clip is making a mockery of what I'm singing about. And the film clips are generally yeah. footage of people talking or of, of things happening in rugby league. And I was spending time at these functions, thinking, I know if I make this film clip a little bit more up to date people will find it funnier. So I was out in the back room literally editing my video, which I then took up to the you know, the mixing desk, gave it to the video guy, and he pressed play and I started singing. In doing that, I hadn't gauged the room. And in both places, while I was out of the room, they were talking about some very somber things. In 2016, there was a couple of kids died in country rugby league, just you know, had yeah. bad you know, accidents on the field. And it was just... It was the wrong time to play the songs mm. that I played and I didn't know it because I wasn't in the room. And when I did the sound check beforehand, I played through the songs I was going to play. The staff that were there were killing themselves laughing. They were going, this is fantastic. This is exactly what we need. This is great. This is beautiful. And so that was the review I got. And they all said, yeah, go for it. But over the course of the night, it had changed. And so when I started up, it wasn't that the song I sang was bad. It was just the people there had taken a bruising. It was the same year that Country Rugby League was told they're going to be disbanded and become part of New South Wales Rugby League, so they'd lost a country voice yeah. on the on the panel kind of thing. It was yeah. the city country game was cancelled, so it was it was it was the wrong night. And I had plenty of material which would have been a whole lot better. And probably the earnest song would have been the best place to start. To say yeah. this is, you know, this is what it's about. This is what it's all about. Being a footy fan, actually going to the game. This is, I think that would have galvanised the crowd, and it would have mm. allowed me then to play a couple of cheeky songs to play that in Queensland. Like it would have been um, much better. Yeah, because you kind of would have won their trust and built that rapport early on, and then you would have had that permission yeah. to kind of push the boundary a little bit. 
Do you, how do exactly. you, or what advice would you give someone now? How, how would you tell them to prepare or to start thinking about reading the room before they present or perform? Get there early. Just talk to as many people as you can. Say, hi, how are you going? Where are you from? Like, just, just talk as much as you can to individuals. But then, usually if you're playing at a, at a room like that as, as a as a speaker or as a performer, you're going to be put on a, a, a spanky little table that's out the front or that, that has a good view. Just keep your eyes open and watch. Watch for a view. Watch how, see what the room does. Because I played, it was like two and a half hours into the function that I played, maybe three hours into it. Mm. There was a lot of data I could have gathered in that time. And like I said, I, I could have prepared for that very easily. I could have changed what I was doing very easily to accommodate that room. Mm-hmm. And um, I just didn't. Right. That's a valu- really valuable lesson. What about in terms of before you get there? Is there any, what do you do before you get to the room to kind of understand uh, the audience and where they might be? Oh, I get as much briefing about the event as possible from the whoever's engaged me. Just also talking about the person that's engaged me, talking to the person that's engaged me for the job to yeah. know, to make sure that they have a clear idea of what, of what I do and of what they want me to do. Yeah. Um, that's... You know, it's, it's just, it's all about communication and not, um, you know, and just being as straight as possible with all this communication. Yeah. And and feeling, I guess, comfortable to ask questions if you're not quite sure about who's in the room or what the mood might be, asking the right questions to try and find some of those answers. Yeah. I, there's, there's that. There's getting a list of, of, you know, well-known guests helps. Yeah. But, but I think, again, asking questions you need to know your material well enough that yeah. you don't need to ask the questions because like I yeah. said I know more about it than they do I know more about my material I've performed it for, you know geez, over a decade I know what songs work in what audiences I, I the, the, the tragedy of it is the thing I love most is having a hostile audience and win them over I used to play a lot yeah. of sportsman's lunches and the sportsman's lunches the whole function of them is for people to get there, you know, there's a reasonable feed, there's free grog and you just get on the grog and talk to your mates and there's a few funny footy players telling funny stories and they're generally pretty bawdy and politically inappropriate. Probably probably a dying sort of thing, to be honest, but I used to love getting up there and so we've got a, a singer now coming on who's uh, from Rugby League, the music, and see them all go, you're kidding, we, we, we have to stop drinking and talking some bloody long-haired musician. What the hell? Who is this clown? And <laughs> and then turning that audience and having the country afterwards going, that was fantastic. That was hilarious. And and what it seemed like, even though I was taking a piss out of rugby league, I actually do love the game and I don't have any interest in bringing it down. My interest is all about making making fun of it, making light of it. I understand what it is to be a rugby league fan whose team keeps losing and losing and the angst of that and the pain of that and the pain of refereeing decisions going against your way even though you're completely biased. The pain of a season being torn apart by a certain player's injury. I know all that. I felt all that. And, you know, the whole thing, the old cliche, what is it? The comedy is tragedy plus time. So I understand that and can put it into music. And they get it, yeah. But they don't yeah. know that until they've heard it, yeah. And that for me is a yeah. is the most satisfying part. And so, finally, my last question for you: You've been doing this for many, many years, but do you still get nervous before performing live? Um, not really. 
I think... Um, Do you remember what point you stopped uh, or did you just never feel nervous? I did. I, I actually had a really, really seminal moment in 2006 where I was playing in camera. So it was the year I wrote the Ernest song. And I'd only be playing the Ernest song about being a footy fan before the Raiders' last home game of that season. And um, it was the last game for... There was about six players who played the Raiders for a long time. It, you know, combined about... 50 years worth, the coach was leaving that year as well. And it was, you know, it was an emotional time. I got out and played three songs. So I played a, a song that only Canberra people would know called The Song for Canberra, which was written, it was the TV theme from about 1981. And it was this really beautiful, cheesy country song about Canberra. And it's so over the top and I still love it. Um, did that, <laughs> did... Uh, Can anyone did get the football team, Dennis support? <laughs> well, then I did the Raiders theme song and did this really yeah. nice sort of blues rock version of it on one guitar. And that, um, oh, I had a mate there. We, we did it on two guitars. Then I played the yeah. Ernest song. And um, as I finished playing the song, out came the Raiders. And I felt my heart rate just rocket. And I realized I'm actually much more nervous watching the Raiders play football <laughs> than I am playing in front of 22,000 people. Like 22,000 people, whatever. The Raiders are playing the Storm. You, you've got to understand how much pressure that is. This is the Bellamy coach thought this is the unbeatable. This is the road. This is the just before they went on to, you know, three grand finals in a row, even though it brought in salary cap. The robots were out there. It was like there was lasers. It was scary stuff. That made me nervous. Yeah. Seeing if other people didn't. Um, I think a lot of that came from busking. Yeah. But I, I know now with my show, there's always. I get nervous about two days beforehand and I have a huge case of imposter syndrome. Have you, have you dealt with that in your show? It's a really big deal for a lot of artists. A lot of senior people in the corporate world or in the business world experience the same thing. Yeah, just question why am I here? There are so many other people mm. who can who probably do this better than me and this, this is a complete insecurity, lack of faith. And I think it's a... I've just taken it. It's a tool. It's a tool to check yourself. It's a tool to check your material. It's a tool to drive you to make sure that you're fully prepared, that you know you don't want to be exposed. The whole idea of a performer, I know my weaknesses better than anyone else. And it's it's natural, well, I guess personality type, it's natural to see your weaknesses in really stark, bright lights because you know about them, you've battled with them, you try and get through them. And you tend to mm. underplay your strength to undermine your own strengths. Yeah, and so very I, true. I use that psychology. I use that drive to go through my prep. I use that drive to push me into rehearsal. I use that drive to make sure that I am 100% ready so that no one can see that weakness, so that no one can see that insecurity. So by the time I'm on stage, <laughs> this is going to be a Cooper Cronk quote. And I love Cooper Cronk. He's a, for those who aren't in uh, New South Wales or Queensland, he's a former Queensland halfback and he is the most spiritual man ever to play rugby league. And he says, when you start falling into a hole, if you start looking at results, you're not going to get any better. You need to look at your process and just look at your process and look at your process to get about results. And so for me, that's what I do. I take, I take Cooper Quant's results. Even though I dress up as him and take the piss out of the show, <laughs> I take the advice and I make sure my processes are right. So by the time I'm on stage, I am so process-driven, I don't have space for nerves. I'm just... You know, I wouldn't say going through the motions. I'm going through the process. I'm performing. I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm there. I know what I have to get to. I know where, you know, which part leads to which, leads to which, how they've got to get there, and all that stuff. 
is there and rock solid. And that all comes in from preparation, and that preparation is driven by imposter syndrome. That is an awesome insight, Dennis. Oh, sorry. Is that? Look at that. Awesome insight from the comedian himself and the musician. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing. I've actually never thought of it like that. Well, there you go. Maybe you've got something out of it. Every day. I know. I got something myself out of it, and I hope those listening got something out of it too, other than just a laugh. Thank you so much, Dennis, for spending time with me. I really appreciate it. Are you you self-isolated at the moment? Kind of. Because I have another job as a... um, Audio engineer and technician for live sport. I'm going to have to be going out and, and producing live sport and setting up equipment. So um, I've got a lot of alcohol wipes. I've got a lot of alcohol sprays because antibacterial wipes don't work. The virus not a bacteria, so you need to be using isopropyl alcohol, which you know destroys it. Either that or soap. That's what you've got to use. So I'm doing a lot of that <laughs> and um, staying as isolated as I can in the meantime. You're a legend. Well, there you go. Comms and hygiene tips from Dennis Carnahan. Thanks so much, Dennis. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have a good one, mate. And that's Comical for this week. If you'd like to join the show, suggest a topic or ask me a question, hit me up on Instagram at Daggle or email me, comicalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. See ya.